Jeannie Flavelle's Hot Commodity Podcast Series. Empowering clients with commercial intelligence, supply chain expertise, and risk management solutions. Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Kevin Combs, Vice President here at McKinney Favelle. Today is March 9th, 2022, and welcome to our Hot Commodity Podcast. Today, covering for our fearless leader, Mike Coughlin, who is on his way down to Southern California and the Expo West. But have no fear, because I am joined by two fabulous experts here at McKinney Favelle, our very own Nicole Thomas. Hello, Nicole. Hey, Kevin and everyone. And Eric Thornton. Hi, Eric. How's it going? I'm doing good, Kevin. How are you? Very good. Happy Waz Day. He's paying a lot of money to fill his car up these days. That's how he's doing. You know... And I have a truck, too, so it's not cheap to uh, fill that gas tank <laughs> of 25 gallons. I'll tell you what. Well, for, uh, fortunately, I'm just driving the car, so I have to fill up a lot more often. If I drove the SUV, it would be super painful. I'd probably have to hit that credit card at least two times, maybe three to get it full. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Expand the credit card limit. <laughs> um, yep. Most of the pumps around here stop at 100 bucks, and uh, that doesn't fill up a, a big wow. SUV anymore. Man. Wow. So, I don't know if they maybe they'll increase those limits to help us out so we don't have to uh, hit the cards twice, but I, I doubt they're going to do that. Mm. So, yeah, gas prices, oil prices, crazy times, mm. and that's what we're in. Yep. Fortunately, it doesn't seem like WASD was too crazy, <laughs> given it's only March and we're just, uh, you know, finishing up a crop. But uh, what do you think, Nicole? How was the uh, thing looking on the corn side? I don't think anybody cared. About WASD today. I mean, you, it's so it's crazy to me because years of doing this, WASD is always, you know, this big event and, you know, a lot of discussion ahead of time. What might we expect in the report? What, you know, what are the analysts thinking? What should I do ahead of the report, after the report? And <laughs> almost forgot because, uh, you know, I would say for the most part, it's overshadowed by, you know, maybe one minor thing. Here one minor major conflict. One, you know, just what's what's a little conflict between friends. But as far as the Wazi was concerned, actually there were some noteworthy changes, and I think you know more or less expected uh, in a few regards. You know, for the domestic market, we saw the ending stocks number lowered by 100 million bushels. And that was due to upward revisions to ethanol and export demand, 25 million bushels for uh, ethanol, 75 million bushels for exports. Not too surprising, just based on things that have been occurring of late. Uh, ethanol has been a strong category of demand thus far this season. And of course, you know, with this incredible rally in, in crude oil and, and subsequently gasoline prices, uh, we could certainly see continued strength there. You do have uh, the ethanol industry kind of lobbying the government to try to finalize that RFS for last year and for uh, 2021, and even suggesting they'd like to maybe counter that proposed reduction for the 2020 blend mandate. But I think what we're really trying to see moving forward is is how does the industry grapple with, you know, considerably higher feedstock costs, uh, weaker margins, and, you know, whether or not we continue to see kind of concerted upward movement between energy and and the grain uh, and oil seed markets, uh, I think that'll be key. But I don't know. feels like feels like my car is going through gas a little a little faster 
than normal. <laughs> or maybe that's just because I'm spending so much at the pump now. I just I notice it. Well, certainly people seem to be getting out more, and so I'm sure you're uh, you're in yes. the same situation. We're all we're all doing more. So exactly. And then from an export standpoint, you know, not not too surprising there as well. Kind of an expectation and in, in terms of you know, what might come down the road, depending on uh, how long this, this conflict continues, which was one of the major changes uh, on the global balance sheet was uh, a reduction to Ukraine's corn export projection of 5 million tons to 27 and a half. You know, not surprising there, definitely an indication of, of the potential impact of, you know, pretty much a rather abrupt cessation of shipments out of the country. Definitely. Um, so, Hard you to know, ship when the ports are blocked. Yeah, that, that tends to hinder things. And so, you know, in terms of global ending stocks, they only took them down by about uh, a million tons uh, to 301. Uh, that's still up a bit from last year, about a little over 3% from 2020, 2021. But stocks to use is projected to fall uh, a bit to 21.6%. And I think really, as far as the corn markets are, are concerned, again, not related uh, necessarily to you know changes in, in this WASD. Arguably, much of that has been calculated into uh, pricing, uh, at least to some degree already. Really, what, what I think, you know, kind of moving forward, especially as we approach the perspective planning's report at the end of the month, is, you know, all the uncertainty around Ukraine, uh, both directly in the sense of, you know, uh, the ability to get corn out, what happens with the corn that's still there, and more, and, and, and probably most importantly, how long does this drag on and how does that impact planting season, which would be just a couple of months away uh, for Ukraine and them being a, a pretty substantive exporter of corn in the global market, representing, you know, anywhere from 15 to maybe 18% in any given year. Uh, so if we, <laughs> if we lose a crop mm. season there, that would add more bullish fuel to the fire, so to speak. And the more, I guess, the recent reports that the government there is exempting farm workers from military service, but again, you still got to think, you know, again, if this drags on, how much planting is realistically going to take place amid, you know, ongoing military action in the country. So, yeah, it's crazy. I, you see the numbers. I mean, it's, the population is over 40 million, but I think they've you know, cited about 2 million people had already fled the country with right. the war going mm -hmm. on. And how you're going to plant a crop and, you know, keep things going would be uh pretty much a miracle, I think, to take place at this point if things continue. Right. And to move that crop, you know, infrastructure <laughs> issues, you know, knocking out some rail lines and things of that sort can make that very challenging. So it will continue to dominate kind of the direction for, for the corn futures market and ultimately uh, kind of corn prices globally, I think. Which is also a good segue into the the soy conflicts piece of the uh, of the report. Now, as far as the U.S. market uh, is concerned, or the balance sheet for the U.S., uh, we we did see an increase to exports uh, up by forty million bushels, which basically uh, reduced the, esti uh, the estimate for ending stocks or the projection for ending stocks now sitting at two hundred and eighty five million bushels. And that puts us at a stocks to use a 6.4%, which, believe it or not, is still better than last year when yeah. things were, were pretty tight. And then globally, ending stocks dropped by about 3 million tons to just shy of 90 million, down by more than 10 million 
from 2020, 21. So you got a stocks to use ratio now at about 17.2% for this year versus 19.3% last year. And if you want to know why soybean prices are as elevated as they are approaching 17, I can't even believe I'm about to say that <laughs> approaching $17 a bushel. It's really about the, that global scenario. Um, in our $17, that's like an all time high, right? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Um, <laughs> and could it go higher? You know, uh, again, comes kind of comes down to how long things are drawn out there because, you know, Ukraine and Russia, actually both countries combined represent, you know, somewhere around 70, 75% of the global export uh, market for sunflower oil, which is why I found, you know, some of the numbers on the soybean oil side of things a little interesting. You know, there was an increase to uh, exports for the U.S., which I think uh, totally makes sense. Bit of a reduction for food use or excuse me, for uh, biofuel use, which I think remains to be seen as well. Kind of looking at, you know, what's going on in in energy as a whole and uh, without any changes to those mandates or any of those state mandates, um, I guess time will tell there. And again, uh, that relationship between the movement of feedstock costs relative to end product costs and maybe some, you know, ultimately some demand rationing kicks in with prices elevated as much as they are. But, you know, the global picture is kind of interesting too, because when you look at exports of soybean oil out of Argentina uh, and Brazil, those were left unchanged and crush was kept consistent. Uh, at about 40 million tons for Argentina and 46 and some change for Brazil. And, you know, kind of considering that the crush margins haven't been that great in Argentina and overall that soybean oil stocks to use is to to fall to 5.5%. And, you know, even looking at vegetable oil stocks more broadly, um, you know, with this, this issue in, in Ukraine, that is certainly leading to more global uh, users to look towards palm oil. And, you know, it's not like we have a great scenario there. And as a matter of fact, Indonesia just, uh, as, as it was reported today, has decided to increase that export limitation from 20% to 30%. And we're still waiting, you know, for substantive rebounds in, in palm oil production. And it just feels like we can't produce enough fast enough uh, to offset this, this increase in demand and, you know, also still feeling the, the effects of a considerably lower uh, canola crop and, and canola oil uh, availability coming out of Canada. I mean, when you kind of look at the, the, out of all the markets, arguably that oil, edible oil piece still remains the scariest, not just from the standpoint of pricing, because, <laughs> you know, I did I didn't. Uh, it was funny, even as I was uh, discussing this with somebody earlier today and looking historically at prices and saying, oh, you know, uh, soybean oil domestically, you know, spot is, I don't know, maybe a buck 15, buck 20 a pound that this this situation is just going to be very challenging to, to dig out of anytime soon. And I think even beyond prices now, people are really looking at supply assurance and and how things are, are going to unfold. Uh, again, particularly if uh, Ukrainians and in, in, in Russia, for that matter, uh, aren't, you know, in the fields planting heavy uh, for 
sunflower uh, production as much as anything else, what impact that's going to have and how that could, you know, further exacerbate a tight market and push us into uh, 2023 with this tightness. So again, you know, WASDE numbers, sure. WASDE day, always a big deal. But uh, as far as market driving uh, factors, it's I think it, it, you know, obviously has been and will continue to be uh, what happens uh, in Ukraine. Yeah, that's uh, that's a great recap, Nicole. And I'm, I'm curious as to your thoughts on this. It seems like the USDA at least took some notice of what's going on and said, OK, this has a huge impact on what's going to be able to get exported out of Ukraine in particular and and adjusted some of those global numbers. But it doesn't seem like maybe with soybeans and corn domestically, I mean, they raised exports on both soybeans and corn a little bit, but I think that was more anticipated even before the invasion right. into Ukraine, right? So right. they kind of seem to maybe ignore it from a domestic standpoint. Yeah. And I mean, in fair, in fairness to them and, and <laughs> sitting, sitting in the analyst chair uh, the last few weeks, it is incredibly challenging to, sort of, you know, project and I, and I I get it not necessarily wanting to overshoot, but I think at the bare minimum, uh, from a user standpoint that what you have to keep in the back of your mind is that the situation continues to develop and that these numbers could indicate things are getting way tighter than what you're seeing on that balance sheet right now. And that's really not that dissimilar from, from what we've been suggesting the last few months is, you know, look at the numbers, but understand there's a, a bevy of factors at play right now that could that could shift things quite dramatically in the coming months. So yep. vigilance is key. Agree, agree, agree. Mm-hmm. And when you look at Russia and Ukraine and you think about those countries and what they produce a lot of and what could get impacted more, I can't think of anything uh, other than the energy market in Russia. And, and that thing we talked about opening is wheat. So Eric... Uh, mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about your thoughts there and uh, both WASD and uh, Russia-Ukraine influence here. And did they cover it or uh, more worries? Well, yeah. We kind of mentioned really the markets weren't so focused on WASD and wheat really not at all in terms of the price reaction. But uh, nonetheless, we'll dive into the numbers quick and then talk through the uh, situation briefly. But as far as the numbers today, pretty much as expected, we saw just a slight reduction to imports here in the U.S. by 5 million bushels and a 10 million bushel reduction to exports. Uh, Again, sales to date so far have been running still about 25% below last year. So we're now down at 800 million bushels in exports and really arguably that's just a number presented as of a year to date. And that's the category that could change dramatically here forward, uh, depending on the length uh, and outcome there in Ukraine. As you mentioned, Kevin, there, Russia being the number one uh, exporting country of wheat and Ukraine number four, combining for about 30% or so of that supply. So if, if the conflict continues and we continue to see a uh, delay or even uh, no exports out of the Black Sea like that is currently uh, for a long period of time, that just opens up the U.S. export window um, for potential to get more purchases from the typical buyers out of the Black Sea being in the Middle East and those countries in Northern Africa. So, you know, U.S. stocks did increase 5 million bushels to 653 
million bushels, but really, again, it's it's not so much the story today uh, globally. To Nicole's point, the USDA on, on did make some adjustments for exports for wheat out of Ukraine and Russia. They reduced Russia by 3 million metric tons and the Ukraine by 4 million metric tons. So they did take that into account, shuffled around some imports a little bit, but did we did see actually on the, the positive side, another increase to Australian wheat production by uh, 2.6 million metric tons, all the way up to 36.3 million metric tons. So a record crop that continues to get larger and larger, and, and they'll probably even be a country that'll step up and fill in the void for uh, a decrease from Ukraine and Russia. So that netted out to actually increasing ending stocks, albeit by 3 million, bu- 3 million metric tons. So we're now at 281 million metric tons. So that was actually slightly more bearish than anticipated. But again, it's uh, really questionable looking forward. And the price reaction today being, you know, limit to near limit down across the three week contracts is just as a result of being limit up for six consecutive days <laughs> starting last Monday through uh, Monday of this this week on the 7th, just unprecedented um, rally in wheat prices pushing to all-time highs for Chicago and, and near all-time highs for KC up near, you know, $13.50 to $14 a bushel. You know, right now we've kind of come back down. Again, we were limit down yesterday, near limit down today, back down with KC in Chicago near 10 to $12 per bushel across the next three or four futures contracts. And Minneapolis actually being the cheaper of the the three wheat contracts now at ten to eleven dollars per bushel um, post report. So really looking ahead, the focus is just going to be locked and locked in on what happens between uh, Russia and Ukraine from here on out. How long this lasts, whether this uh, has a, a peaceful ending or not. And again, just uh, I'll lastly comment too on just the varietals of wheat grown in Ukraine. It is about ninety five percent winter wheat. So those crops are similar. Um, well, I'll say that region of well, Ukraine as a country is similar to that of Kansas here in the United States. So in terms of weather, and um, it's a perfect spot and area to grow winter wheat. So we're now just starting to come out of dormancy and here in the U.S. Southern Plains as well as Ukraine. So, you know, are, are the farmers going to be able to get out in the fields to do any top dressing or things to kind of get the crops helping through this dormancy or post-dormancy window. Questionable. Um, We mentioned kind of the refugee situation, how many of those folks were farmers or people that worked at farms. A lot of uncertainty, a lot of unknowns, but ultimately this this is a uh, bullish uh, view looking forward. It's just, uh, I think, hopefully folks that we talk to um, or or talk with us have been able to get out ahead of this to at least cover Q3 into new crops. So yep. there's at least some time to strategize, but uh, obviously if there's anybody shorter than that, certainly, um, you know, don't hesitate to reach out and we can try and work a best path forward. Markets hate fear and they hate the unknown. And we mm-hmm. certainly have heavily <laughs> amount of both here. Yep. Yep. For sure. But how was sugar, Kevin? Well, sugar is uh, fortunately a little uh, easier to follow at this point, especially when you look at having a U.S. sugar program, USDA managing control of supply and demand. So 
I don't get all that uh, fun influences on sugar that you guys got to talk about. So <laughs> use the term fun. Fun. Well, okay. <laughs> I shouldn't use that term and uh, catastrophe and many other things could be uh, associated with it. But anyway, um, I had a much easier task today than, uh, than you two in looking at these markets and doing the write-ups and covering this podcast. So um, you know, from a production standpoint, USDA uh, lowered Florida. There's been some frost concerns there that hit, and uh, they looked at that and seeing a little bit lower sugar recovery as well as a little bit lower uh, yield on the last part of the crop after the frost. So 45,000 ton decline there. And then on the beet crop, they also lowered that 12,000 tons as a result of some lower recovery and still kind of hearing a little bit concern here with some operations of beet plants going on, a little bit lower sucrose recovery, a little bit problems processing. So wouldn't surprise me if that, you know, trickles down a little bit here over the next couple months still, but you know, it's still a, still a hefty number at 5.389 million tons. Certainly much better than we we're thinking about in July when we we're worried about all the dryness and drought in the Red River Valley in particular. So good, uh, good production. Uh, on the import side, USDA, of course, has to reset Mexico, being that this is uh, March. They come up with their final number. So Mexico is now granted 100% of their 1,050,000 tons, which was only down 15,000 as a result of the lower uh, production in the U.S., and a bigger change was they increased deliveries for food use 100,000 tons, which is a pretty strong increase. They're seeing some strong delivery numbers year to date through, you know, the numbers they show on the SMD report are through January and they're up 2.2%. Uh, big recovery on beverage demand and confectionery, which were two categories that were really hurt. Uh, with the onset of COVID and sheltering in place, et cetera. So uh, we'll see if that materializes. It's not a big demand when you look at it versus 2020. It's only up like half a percent. So it's just a matter of, uh, you know, when you which, which year you want to compare it to. Last year was, you know, down consumption-wise. So we'll, we'll see how that looks. But uh, other than that, the only other real uh, small changes were imports, a little bit more on tier two imports, up 25,000 tons. And uh, on the TRQ imports, they raised those 21,000 tons. So um, reducing some of that uh, shortfall. And when you look at sugar, just uh, now it's kind of up to the USDA to see what they're going to do. And if they uh, have any aversion to 36 cent raw sugar prices or not, then whether they want to take a look and say we need to increase imports, which they can start doing after April 1st. So, again, not too exciting. I'd you know, characterize this report as being uh, mildly uh, bullish tightening up, but we kind of knew it was going to tighten up as whether they were going to lower Mexico or hit some other categories or what on this report. So kind of uh, as you'd expect overall. So any other comments, guys? Stay, stay tuned. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We're here. Stay we, tuned. we, we serve as therapists too. So if you, you know, <laughs> need somebody to lay your burdens on, um, we're we're happy to do so. Just you know, return return a favor down the road. I might need it. Very good. All right. 
that's a great recap. Thanks, guys. And uh, just want to remind everybody, if you want to stay tuned to the markets and get more, we're also going to be holding our spring seminar on April 27th in Oak Brook, Illinois. And Eric, Nicole, myself, and the rest of the McKinney Favel gang will all be there uh, presenting on the various topics. And so look forward to uh, seeing you there. You can check out our webpage to uh, sign up and register for that. And we are offering both a virtual and an in-person option. So we hope to see you there, but uh, if not, hopefully we can uh, have you join us online. And that wraps up our WASD Hot Commodity Podcast. I want to thank everyone for listening in. And as Mike always says, live with an attitude of gratitude. Until next time, take care. See ya. Bye-bye. That concludes this podcast episode. For expanded commentary and more detailed information, log on to McKinney Favell's IQ Ingredient Intelligence platform and listen to our Market Insights podcast. If you're not a subscriber, visit bikini-favel.com for more information. And as always, follow us on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter.